Hello, and welcome to the historical marionette theater. This evening, we're going to talk about an 80s sitcom, one of my personal favorites. Grab your seats. The show is about to begin. Well, hello. Hey. Hey, 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 DJ, DJ, uh, I hear you're doing that Kate and Allie tonight, you know, that old TV sitcom. Well, you know what? Uh, I should have been in that show. I should have been cast as Katie. You know why? Why is that, ma'am? Because she's the free spirit character and I'm, I'm the free spirit around here. And I could have, I would have been of age. Well, a little bit older, but I would have, I could have done that role. Why didn't they cast? I could have, I could have done it. <laughs> you got the spirits part, right? <laughs> she seems to think she should have been cast in everything we do. Uh, Gertie, why don't you uh, head on down and, and, and do the intro? Okay. Well, fine. All right. Nobody cares. All right. I'll go do the intro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Watch your step there. Kate is a laid-back free spirit with a teenage daughter. Allie is an upper-middle-class suburban housewife with two children. The two were once school friends whose paths drifted them apart. When divorce strikes, the two are reunited under one roof to see if the two can help each other make ends meet. Will the free spirit drive the housewife mad with her slobbishness? Will the housewife alienate her friend when she acts like a snob? Grab some change for the bus and some pepper spray. That's New York after all. It's time for Kate and Allie with Susan St. James and Jane Curtin. Hit it, boys. What do you get when you take a dash to the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies. And a smidgen of screaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Toppy. Well, goodness sakes, Toppy. How are you this very crisp evening i'm good i'm good did you get a little snow over there deej oh goodness you know i can't see totally to the end of the driveway from the house and hubby was coming home from work i wondered why he pulled off to the side before he got to our driveway well we got plowed in <laughs> oh yeah i'm sure <laughs> yeah uh, that happens to me uh every morning i get plowed in and the worst part is 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 not really my short span of driveway. It, it's that mound of snow that the plow builds up. <laughs> you know, we've been getting a taste uh, more of winter lately, and they, they say that this is the way it used to be in the, you know, the, the days gone by, like possibly in the 80s when Kate and Allie was new. Oh, maybe. Maybe. Speaking of which, uh, let's set the stage. Why don't we? Okay. Uh, Kate and Allie has started uh, in 1984. And DJ, tell us what was going on in the world. 
84. Okay, so in 84, Ma Bell, AT&T, they were found to be a monopoly and its divisions were separated. Michael Jackson, the king of pop, he won eight Grammys that year. Is that a record? I think so. For the time, the uh, Soviet Union boycotted the Summer Olympics in Los mm. Angeles. Speaking of which, why aren't we boycotting the goddamn Winter Olympics right now? Anyways. Yeah. Now, also in 84, Vanessa Williams, uh, famed singer and actress in more recent years, she became the first Miss America to resign due to some inappropriate photos surfacing. She she posed for Penthouse. Oops. Uh, and Catherine D. Sullivan, she was the first American woman to complete a spacewalk. So she was an astronaut. And... Well, it wasn't all um, wine and roses. Uh, in 84, Reagan won ah. the election. <laughs> uh, oh, and uh, oh, Lamont Cranston says he entered uh, double digits uh, in age in 1984. Uh, speaking of which, Lamont Cranston, he's part of our uh, 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 chat room. And uh, we've got uh, a bunch of people here. And so we'd like to say hi to him. Uh, so hi to Tommy Hash Browns. Hi to Marin Gertz. Lamont Cranston joining us for the first time. I know Lamont from being in the chat room of many a little shoes. Can't remember. I don't, I don't know what we used to listen to, Lamont. I think I think you and I were there uh, for uh, uh, Joey Booheckers podcast. Uh, the uh, I can't even think of the name of it now. It's been so long. Anyways. <laughs> Lamont and I have listened to a lot of podcasts together in chat rooms. Hey, we got your hubby, Billy Starsage, and uh, all the way from Australia, RT Cruiser. And it looks like the ever mysterious Groundhaven is lurking up there, listening. Sometimes she can't uh, get into the chat room, but she's listening, I'm pretty sure. And uh, anyways, welcome, y'all. Always happy to have uh, y'all here. You know, I'm always pleased to see RT in the chat room because it's hope that there is a tomorrow. <laughs> Isn't that right? Isn't that right? Ladies and gentlemen, in that right? So, Toppy, uh, in 84, there are some folks that entered the world who even today we're still hearing their names. Who were the, some of those celebrities? Okay. Well, you may have heard of these people. But <laughs> no, no. Uh, born uh, in 84... Kate McKinnon, uh, Saturday Night Live, don't you know? Uh, Mandy Moore, well, she's uh, an actress and singer, and she was in that uh, there, that there, uh, The Princess Diaries with Anna Anne Hathaway. Uh, also, America Ferrara. Is that really someone's first name, America? Yes. Okay, fine. <laughs> she was an ugly Betty. I mean, I think it's a she. Is it a yeah, she? It is. Okay. Also, Mark Zuckerberg, who's probably listening to us right now. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, well, Facebook is taking a hit, isn't it? Ooh. Uh, oh, my God. He was born in 84. That's disgusting. I know. How, ma how meta. <laughs> oh, my God. Also born in 84, <laughs> Katy Perry. Uh, she's that uh, their singer pop artist, and of course the Black Widow in the Marvel Comics universe. 
Scarlett Johansson. So there you go. Okay. Uh, tell us what was uh, on TV competing with Kate Nally, DJ. Oh, righty. So when Kate Nally was new on TV and back in 84, I, I think that my folks still had one of those cable boxes with the buttons and the lever oh, yeah. on it. I remember them. Uh, I wasn't in charge of what was on TV then, so I can't be sure I thought it was brand new. I've I've heard some ads that suggest that it did get to see some reruns. Maybe we'll hear some of that in a bit. But uh, Kate and Ellie premiered on CBS, The Eyeball, on uh, Monday, March 19th, 1984. And during its first season, it was CBS Mondays at 9 o'clock, opposite... Oh. That uh, time slot over there on the ABC in the fall, it was Monday Night Football. So, you know, if you were a guy, you probably didn't watch uh, Kate and Allie at the time. Oh, and, well. <laughs> yeah. That first season, by the way, was only six episodes because it started as a mid-season replacement. They did that back in the day on networks. Hey, you know, and uh, speaking of our favorite thing, the minutia of matinee minutia, do you know what Kate and Allie was a mid-season replacement for? No, what was it? What, it what did was it replace? Placement for after mash. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> so you know, we moved up in the world. We got something a little better. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. So over Ow. on NBC, the national broadcast company, it was Monday night at the movies. So you know, before. Um, home VCRs and that they, they would show the, the, uh, the movie nights on Mondays. Now in oh, yeah. season three, which is in 86, Kate and Allie, they would move to Mondays at eight o'clock. So they're, they're getting a little earlier. Maybe some kiddos could have watched it before bed. That's probably a good choice to move it up. Mm -hmm. And then over on, uh, the uh, ABC in the eight o'clock time slot of season three was MacGyver. Oh my God. Never saw a single episode. Oh my. I, I have a, a few friends that loved that show. And then on NBC, by the time 86 rolled around, <laughs> we were ready for another type of hotel. It was the alien life form, the, the living puppet, if you <gasps> Alf. Oh, my God. I did not know Alf. His name, Alf, stood for alien life form. Oh, yes. I didn't know that. Now, mm -hmm. here's a mystery to me, uh, DJ. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Kate and Allie was on CBS. ABC had MacGyver. NBC had Alf. I didn't watch any of those shows. <laughs> was I just did I? But I mean, I don't know. Did I just not watch anything? I sure wasn't watching football. What the hell was I watching? I think you probably came home, took a nap, and then you woke up to watch Hill Street Blues. Okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the show remained there. Kate and Allie would stay on Mondays at 8 until its cancellation during the sixth season. And we'll Oops. get to that in a bit here. Because uh, eventually Allie did remarry and, well, Kate became the third wheel. Yes. Widely considered the worst jumping the shark moment ever. No, it's not. That doesn't. No, that doesn't count as jumping the shark. Um, 
it just was a bad choice and it and it ruined uh the show for everyone i think so before we get into the creative staff topy uh you know usually if we were discussing a movie we've got a trailer but uh i i have a little bit of a collection here of a few short clips that were used to promote kate nally when it was still on the air so okay let's give a listen to that when I think of what Kate goes through out there in the world every day, and I've heard it can be really rough out there, struggling with some pretty tough customers, haggling with clients, carving out travel plans for people who are not worth her little finger, people who do not appreciate one thing she does, just so that we can get by, the woman is amazing. She Allie, really is. Allie, hold it. This is embarrassing. Oh, but it's true. I didn't say it wasn't true. I said it was embarrassing. Friendship. That's what it's all about. Two divorced moms hoping to share one house. We'll have a great time, trust me. Oh, the last person that said that fathered my two children then left me. Their kids are looking for the best. I don't think she's wearing anything. <laughs> my binoculars. But these ladies are shooting for the stars. I want to look like a movie star. I'd settle for looking like a movie usher. <laughs> it's a motherload of comedy. For another fine mess you've gotten me into. On Kate and Alley. They're complete opposites. Eerie, isn't it? One's a little old-fashioned. Me? <laughs> Don't be silly. The other's thoroughly modern. She must be fabulous. It's an unlikely attraction. Am I the only one in this house to think this idea is crazy? But it's a fairy tale friendship. Good night, Tinkerbell. <laughs> Good night, Captain Hook. On Kate and Allie. All right, DJ. I think I could have gotten a job as a... As a network collapser fella. <laughs> Anyways, oh, tonight on Kate now. Those were some of the adverts that were run uh, when the show actually started in syndication. Uh, you know, because they, they like to have a few episodes in the can, as they say in the industry. And then they, they sell them to all the stations to show them in the afternoon, maybe when the kids got home from school. There you go. <laughs> so, Choppy, tell us about the magician of the show, the executive producer. Yeah. His name was Bill Persky. And uh, he was an American television director. He was a screenwriter. He was a producer. He did all that stuff. He was born in New York City. His father was an, an estate auctioneer. And uh, fun fact, during the summers, young Bill worked as a lifeguard at a resort in the Catskill Mountains. He attended Syracuse University, which is just a hop, skip, and a jump from both of us, DJ, mm -hmm. and uh, where he studied advertising. And after school, he went to work for an advertising agency in New York City, where he took a job at WNEW Radio. <laughs> And uh, that's where he met Sam, a fellow by the name of Sam Deloff, uh, who was a native of New York City. And the two of them began writing jokes for the DJs at WNEW. And that soon uh, they were quite successful at it. And everybody liked their jokes that got them to thinking, why don't we why don't we write for TV? We, we're great. And so, so they decided to move. Uh, to Los Angeles, and they got a job for heaven's sakes, writing for the Steve Allen show in the early 60s. Uh, 
Well, that led to another writing job because they were pretty good on the Steve Allen show and for the Dick Van Dyke show. Everybody knows that one. And actually, uh, uh, they, uh, the, the two of them wrote some of their really funniest most remembered episodes uh after that they decided hey we're doing so great here why don't we create something all of our own well guess what they created in 1966 they created a little television show starring marlo thomas oh my god does anybody in the chat room know what the show was Mm. Uh, (laughs) i do yeah it was called that girl and uh, uh, just a little bit of fluff, really. And Marlo Thomas shined in it, of course, from 1966 to 71. And uh, so they were the creators of that and, and uh, the producers and writer. And, uh, and, and uh, it, it was all there. It was their whole ball of wax. And uh, finally, uh, we get along to uh, 1984. There were lots of other stuff that happened, but uh, uh, Bill Persky became the executive producer of Kate and Alley, and he would also direct, get this, this is a lot. It's kind of unusual. He directed 100 out of the 122 episodes of Kate and Alley. That's a lot. Lamont Cranston, he guessed it in the chat room. He said, that girl. Yes, indeed. So uh, that was the uh, the executive producer. And he was very instrumental in working with the two stars and, and figuring out how the show would go. And uh, so, yeah, there we go. But there was an actual creator mm-hmm. of the show. Uh, tell us about her. Certainly. And just a quick aside, Mr. Bill Persky is a man of uh, some virility there because he's still living this day. He's 90 and he was recently in a reunion of the cast that was done during the pandemic. So go out there and cast look for Kate and Alley. Yes. Really? Um, I only have to look it up, but there is a, uh, a very popular series of reunions that were done by a couple on um uh, you know on uh, social media there but it was all um celebrities was this like a, a zoom a zoom thing that they did during the uh you know the uh plague that we're having yes sir okay so, but uh they did a, a reunion of all the cast and it was on zoom and you could see it on youtube oh cool bill so, persky how old did you say he is he's uh, i believe he's 90 god bless him and he's on his third wife <laughs> Well, you know, <laughs> maybe that's what's kept him young, huh? Maybe. Okay, so Kate and Allie was created by a, uh, a writer named Sherry Coben, and uh, may, she also made the web series Little Women, Big Cars, and she's a writer for the soap, was a writer in the 80s for Ryan's Hope. Of course, it all goes back to Star Trek. That's, that's where Kate Mulgrew got her start. Oh, uh, my God. Ryan Soap was a a daytime TV soap. And Coben got the idea for Kate and Allie when she attended her high school reunion and observed how some women from her class, now divorced and seemingly living unhappy lives, began taking, or sorry, talking together, offering support, hope, and inspiration to each other. So uh, Coben wrote or co-wrote at least 10 episodes of Kate and Alley within its first two seasons, setting the tone of the show for the rest of its run. 
Yeah. So she was uh, a big part of the the whole thing. And in fact, a couple of the shows I, I just watched seemed to me, you know, as someone who hasn't seen the whole six year run, I, I said, oh, my God, I've just lucked on to a really good episode. And I said, I wonder who the writer was. Sure enough, Sherry Coben was one of the writers. So she she did a lot of the best shows. Hmm. So we have a whole host of folks that came together to make this show. And we've just heard about the executive producer and the creator. Now we're going to talk about the uh, two co-leading ladies, because it is a show about uh, two divorcees who are bringing their families together. And I'll uh, go ahead and start off the discussion here with uh, Miss Susan St. James. Now, she's someone that uh, fans of television would recognize from a few years before. She was in The Macmillan and Wife. Now, on um, Kate and Alley, she played Kate McCardle. And Susan St. James was born on the West Coast there, the Golden Coast, Los Angeles. She began acting in the mid to late 60s, so a little before Jane Curtin. And uh, her first role in television was in a 66 TV movie starring the uh, star of future Odd Couple and Quincy. It was a movie called Fame is the Name of the Game. Uh, Jack Klugman was in that. And then in 68, St. James was cast in a supporting role in a film called P.J., and it was uh, by a guy named John Galerman, Ga- uh, who would in the future make The Towering Inferno. And uh, Susan St. James uh, starred opposite Raymond Burr in this film. Wow. Yeah. Hi, Susan. Susan St. James. I'm Raymond Burr. <laughs> Give me I'm a donut. I'm so glad you're starring with me on the show. Give me that ham sandwich, huh? Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) And then her first recurring role in television is in ABC's It Takes a Thief. And this was opposite many folks, which included a cast that included Robert Wagner and Fred Astaire. Uh, So that was uh, her first run in TV. Now, St. James would... Well, just just to clarify that, uh, Mm -hmm. it, It Takes a Thief starred Robert Wagner and Fred Astaire may have been a guest star in one episode. Okay. But uh, he was, I mean, it, he probably was in, uh, I didn't even know he was, but I mean, he, he would have probably been an, a guest star in one episode. <laughs> the St. James would continue to work in television. And in 71, she was cast in Macmillan and wife, as I mentioned, which ran for five seasons from 71 to 77. And she was the Leeds amateur detective wife. Now, in the next decade, uh, St. James would be cast in five films, including Outlaw Blues. That was in 77 with Peter Fonda. And that was about an ex-convict who goes after the country music star who stole his song after he did hey, it. You stole my song, goddammit! Uh-oh. <laughs> and then in how to beat the high cost of living i watched that just last night folks that's a favorite of mine oh. uh, 
It was uh, that came out in 1980, and it was the first collaboration. It was when Saint James, Susan Saint James, first met Jane Curtin, along with famed later, uh, you know, American Horror Story, and of course Tootsie, and so many other things. Jessica Lang and How to Beat the High Cost of Living. This was about three suburban housewives who plot to steal a million bucks from a large plastic ball that was displayed in the local shopping center. Yeah. By the way, also, I think uh, Jane Curtin and, and, and Susan St. James uh, were acquainted with each other through Saturday Night Live because Jane Curtin was married to, I think, the producer of Saturday Night Live. Uh, Susan St. James was. Oh, was Susan St. James was. So anyways, that's how, you know. Susan St. Jane would run into Jane Curtin because she was a cast member. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so anyways, uh, well, let me tell you about Jane Curtin. Uh, she played Allie Lowell. Uh, she was born in Massachusetts and she auditioned for Saturday Night Live at the age of 27, which is older than, than I thought. She, uh, she was well on her way. But of course, Saturday Night Live launched a career uh she would be in five seasons 75 to 80 and um uh she would um as we as we said uh, run into susan st james and eventually co-star with her in how to beat the high cost of living uh and they would go on to do uh uh, their television show, Kate and Allie, which, by the way, Jane Curtin wasn't the tiniest bit interested in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not even the tiniest bit. Uh, but when she found out what she was going to get paid, she changed her mind. And she, as she got to know Susan Shane James better and, and the producer, um, uh, um, that we, we talked about Bill Persky. She really liked him and he really guided her. And, and very soon Jane Curtin was really happy with how things were going. And she ended up adoring, apparently adoring her entire run on this show. So, and uh, so that's always great, but I know Jane Curtin more than anything as a cast member of third rock from the sun 1996 to 2001 what a nutty wackadoodle show that was uh it was um it uh started john lithgow kirsten johnston french stewart he was weird and that uh, joseph garden levitt when he was a little kid um by the way from 1979 to 2001, Jane Curtin made 17 theatrical released movies. Between 1998 and 2008, she appeared in 13 made-for-television movies. So she was a busy gal, a busy gal. And I often uh, think, uh, when I think of the Saturday Night Live cast that launched that legendary show i think oh god you know dan Aykroyd, bill murray uh 
Chevy Chase, you know, they, they just got all those roles. And I, I tend to think uh, Jane Curtin, you know, she sort of disappeared, but no, she did not disappear. Not at all. Uh, she was in tons of stuff, um, including that, uh, that movie um, Coneheads, which was a, you know, extended the Saturday Night Live skits with the Coneheads. And by the way, uh, apparently her appearance in that movie was one of the major reasons, I guess, why she got uh, wound up in Third Rock from the Sun. But Ooh. she was playing a human in there. Um, there were three kids. Three little kids, little actors on the show, DJ. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, sir. And uh, before we move on to the uh, the junior members of our cast, we are at about the halfway mark in our show. So we're going to step on over here to the snack bar where Madame Gertie is, uh, well, she's just blasting out some tunes on the jukebox and uh, serving up some drinks. What do you got there, Missy? Sorry, I was over with the bubble gum and juju bees uh, snoring a little bit. I'm awfully sorry. Anyways, you go ahead. <laughs> so we have an interview with Jane Curtin, and this is for the Archive of American Television. And Jane's reflecting on her years on Kate and Alley. It was presented to me as a series called Two Mommies, and instantly I wanted to barf. Um and uh, I didn't want to do it. I thought it was stupid. And uh, then they said, well, just meet the director. I met the director, Billy Persky. I just had no idea who he was. And I thought, do this. This is not anything I want to do. I should be doing something much better, much more important. And uh, then my agent said that they, they're going to pay you this amount of money, which was a lot of money. And I thought, oh, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. And uh, it turned out to be really fun. I worship the ground Billy Persky walks on. Um, I think that man has done a tremendous amount for television. And if you haven't talked to him, you should. I have talked. Excellent. Um, and I had I had the time of my life doing that show. My daughter was 18 months when we started, and it was four camera videotape. Uh, we worked banker's hours. Um, my daughter would come to work, and, and if Susan's uh, baby, who was, I think, about four months older than mine, came, we would just put the babies on the floor and then step over them while we were rehearsing. And when they got big enough, we put them in director's chairs, and they could yell action and cut. <laughs> but it was so... It was a, so warm and familial, and uh, Grace Zignano, who was the, the wardrobe mistress down in the bowels of the Ed Sullivan Theater, would, would come upstairs with feather bowers and beads for the babies. And, and uh, then they would go down and work with Bobby Armstrong and Milton Burris, who was the hair and makeup, and they'd make up Bobby, and they'd do her, Milton's hair, even though he only had three. Um, <laughs> and... We would just we had audiences that would come in and love the show, um, and we'd be out by eight thirty. Wow. <laughs> we'd be I'd be home at nine. That's quite a difference. It was quite a difference, and we did really good shows in record time, and we had the best crew ever. Um, I I can't imagine anything better than Kate and Ellie, except 
maybe third rock. Do you think it realistically was portraying something that was actually going on in American culture? Apparently it was. Uh, we got a lot of feedback from people and a lot of it from people on the street. But it was a different approach rather than having to challenge me because I was on Saturday Night Live. They wanted to protect me. And it was a lot, a lot of older men who saw their daughters in Kate and Allie. You know, these women who were either divorced or, or they hadn't found a husband and that was what you really had to do back then. And so they saw that their daughters could be okay. It's a possibility that if they find a situation and they have a friend, that they can maybe pool their resources. And, and so it made everything okay for these people and for single women. You know, all of a sudden we were legitimizing single mothers and saying, yes, this happens. And they have to go on with their life and, and, and uh, make a life for themselves and their children. And, and this is a great way that they can do it. Alrighty. So we were talking about the, uh, the kiddos, the junior members of the cast of Kate and Allie. And uh, so Allie, the, uh, the conservative housewife from Connecticut, she had a boy and a girl. And um, the actress who played the uh, older daughter there, Allison Smith, and she's been active in theater, in fact, is still acting to this day. Uh, she'll also starred Ari Myers. Now, she played Kate's daughter, Emma. And uh, Allie's other kid was a little boy. His name was Chip. And he was played by a Frederick, I want to say, Kohler, kind of like the, the Fawcett. And he has been... Uh, Still acting in more recent years. Um, I understand he had a recurring role on that HBO series uh, about a prison called Oz. <laughs> uh, so Allison Smith is known for portraying the title role of Annie on Broadway. And more recently, her yeah. work on television was uh, as Mallory O'Brien in Aaron Sorkin's, who's the creator of the West Wing, a favorite series of mine with Martin Sheen. Yeah, she was all grown up uh, on that show. I tried to find out, like, okay, when uh, on Annie was she on Broadway? Because, you know, they went through a string of kids because the, mm -hmm. these kids were grown up and usually did maybe two years, maybe three at most. And then they'd have to find a younger kid. Like, uh, what's her face uh, with the horse? No, 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 no. Uh, sex in the city. No, she does not have a horse face. That's ridiculous that people say that. <laughs> she was a nanny. And her uh, husband can't sing. <laughs> no. Uh, but anyways, uh, I, so I tried to find out like what year I couldn't, I couldn't find out what year she was Annie. She certainly didn't originate the part. So sometime later on, she, she, she was Annie. There was actually a, a, a episode that's one of my favorites, and we'll, we'll get to the, sort of the best of list in a bit. But there was an episode where um, Allie ended up volunteering her time at a public access station. And one of the things they did was they had Jenny, her daughter, um, performing the song from Annie. The sun will come out tomorrow, yeah. which is ironic because, of course, the actress played that role on in theater. <laughs> Yeah. Now, <clears throat> I think Lamont Cranston, if I am correct, 
lives in Manhattan or very nearby or one of the suburbs or just off the island or anyways, pretty sure, pretty sure. And I wonder um, if maybe back in the day he would watch uh, Kate and Allie because the show would open with on-location shots of New York City, and the, the two of them would just be talking at some spot in New York. And uh, I wonder, you know, Lamont Crist would watch it and say, oh, I know that place. I was there yesterday. Oh, he's in the Bronx. Okay. Uh, so that was one of the really unusual things about Kate and Allie. It was not produced in L.A. Like every other show, it was produced and made and filmed in the Ed Sullivan Theater, of all places, in New York City. And one of the reasons that came to be the way it was is uh, first Susan St. James, who lived in Connecticut, just said, you know, I'll do that show, but I'm sure as hell not moving my family to L.A. So if you want to do this show and you want me to be in it, uh, you, you, I, I'm just not going to do it if I've got to go to LA. And then they got Jane Kirk in there and she said, I really like New York city. I don't want to be in LA either. <laughs> and, uh, uh, other people involved with the show anyway, somehow, some way they just said, we're going to do it in New York city, which was so unusual. Now, live TV, uh, the whole thing started in New York City, for sure. But but it migrated, uh, really, and became a West Coast thing. But by 1984, not usual at all. Uh, it was very unusual for a show to be done in New York City. Yeah, and coming to find out, Jane Curtin is actually originally from Massachusetts. So, um, yeah. The early days of her career kept her on the East Coast, at least. Mm -hmm. Lamont Cranston uh, says uh, Manhattan was still pretty scary in 1984. And he he thinks, I'm sure those outdoor scenes were filmed very quickly. And then they left, <clears throat> which is probably, probably true. You know, I, I have a brief moment I could talk about with New York City. I, my, I grew up in cow country, and of course, my folks raised all their children to be afraid of the city because, you know, as soon as you get to the city, someone's going to try to mug you. And um, when I got to the city, which was before 9-11, thankfully, because I understand things have changed, um, people didn't so much as want to look at you so much as be close enough to touch you. So you, you didn't kind of have to worry about that. But I got to visit Greenwich Village and um, after having seen it in a movie that we discussed this last year, Jeffrey with Patrick Stewart, I got to see the pride statues at Christopher Street. I don't know if you know Nifty. what to Yeah, so that's my little uh, slice of uh, the the Big Apple that I got to to live through myself, and that's part of what was exciting to me about Kate and Alley was um, in my youth, I uh, you know I had never been to the city, and here you've got a very different family, and uh, you've got uh, you know two parent figures that 
they just kind of contrast each other with their their personalities and their styles and it was just like oh i want to go live with them <laughs> uh-huh uh-huh so um by the way um uh, apparently their little apartment was in um uh, the Christopher Street area. Oh no, no. What, what's they call that area? Um, Christopher Greenwich Street Village. is in yeah Greenwich Village. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's apparently where their apartment was, and we were talking about it earlier, DJ and I. And I don't know. I mean, it looks like you have to go down the stairs to enter the apartment, which is below the sidewalk, and then. They've got like two stories at least because they have a. You come in and there's a staircase there that you can go up. Anyways, DJ said, "I I want to see a layout of that apartment because it don't make sense to me <laughs> how it's in that building." But uh, anyways, so you you laid eyes on this uh, when it was first running, mm-hmm. and uh, related to it the way you did. I I maybe saw a couple, three episodes um, because as everyone knows, I was far too busy watching one hour dramatic shows <laughs> to be paying attention to mere sitcoms. By the way, that's another interesting thing is Kate and Allie were writing on, and by the way, and the show was a hit right off the bat. Mm-hmm. The very first episode was number four. Uh, it, it, it just immediately, it was a hit. But the thing is about sitcoms is they were making a comeback because they had kind of disappeared in the late 70s and early 80s. So, uh, sitcoms were hard to come by. They just sort of fell out of favor or nobody was doing hardly any of them were around some huge sitcoms had come and gone in the early seventies, mid seventies and late seventies. And then there was this dearth that is just like, I don't know. Uh, people weren't stopping watching sitcoms because they felt silly and they didn't really relate to them and they felt cartoony and they kind of were. I mean, think about, oh, think about Three's Company or uh, Happy Days. They, they were cartoony. They, they were, it was all about the guffaws and laughs. And then <laughs> the Cosby show came around, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which was incredibly, immensely successful. And the, they just, it, there, it was a new era for sitcoms, but the sitcoms were different than the 70s sitcoms. They were relatable. They had characters that seemed more real and they seemed to have actual problems and they were flawed in ways that nobody on Happy Days was ever flawed. Uh, and it just, it just ushered in a new era of sitcoms that just seem more relevant to what audiences wanted to see. And Kate and Allie was one of those shows. And, and what did they show? Well, they showed an unconventional family uh, um, that were doing okay for themselves. Uh, And uh, they argued and they, 
had problems and uh, and people related and suddenly for example i think when kate and Allie wound up they here was like maybe the cbs i think uh the uh, Scarecrow and Mrs. King was the first hour at eight. Then there were two comedies, Kate and Alley and something. And then after that, there was another hour shows. They were all hits. So people would come to CBS and they'd stay all the way through the night uh, uh, to watch all of these shows. And that happened over on NBC on Cosby night, which was Thursday night. That's when cheers hit it big. That's when uh, the court went the court show. What was that court show? Night court. Night court hit it big. They were, it was people came to see Cosby and they just stayed on that network the whole rest of the night. So this was a, a huge big time for sitcoms and they were all like just very, very successful. You know, and um, as a kid, I remember watching this show, and even then I picked up on some of the messages that were in those episodes. Like, they had an episode about teenage sexuality. You know, uh, the character Jenny, she decides that she's going to maybe go all the way with her boyfriend, and then she ends up having the talk with Jane Curtin's character, her mother, Allie. And there's even an episode where the um, the young boy in the house, Chip, he befriends a special needs person. This guy, he uh, brings home one day. And, you know, um, as a kid, you're expecting him to bring his school friends home uh, to play in the house or whatever. And you'll see him in each episode or what have you. But uh, one time he brings home a grown man. And the um, characters are led to wonder if this man is a stranger, if he's, you know, um, dangerous, because Chip hides him in the basement when he first comes home because the guy lost his house when his mother passed away. Mm -hmm. And then slowly through the course of the episode, Kate and Allie realize that this guy has been hiding out in his their house because the TV is on in the middle of the night. They come downstairs, and as much as he tries to hide, he's seen at the end of the couch, and that's when Chip has to fess up. But it's it's rather charming because um, the character, and I'm forgetting his name right now, is in a, several episodes, and in fact, uh, one point, um, Kate ends up coaching him through his first dating experience because they get him a place to live. And then he ends up working at um, basically a, um, like a, a craft, st- not a craft store, but like a, an art studio where people put their wares out to be sold in this little gift shop. And he meets someone there who's also special needs. And Kate, you know, has to tell him, well, you know, how to play hard to get and all that. It, it was just very cute. <laughs> Yeah, he was a, a continuing character, a reoccurring character for a while. Um, uh, I, just want, I want to say the, the children, especially the kid that played Chip, I thought was extra special good. 
um, because he had he had the timing and he just seemed like a natural, very appealing. And uh, the other the the two older girls were were just fine. Um, and you know the thing that really made the show, of course, was the relationship between Jane Curtin and Susan St. James character. And, and they played very different types. So Susan St. James was kind of a wild gypsy, carefree, uh, you know, kind of daring. And then Jane Curtin played, the much more conservative kind of almost dowdy uh, uh, woman who, you know, she wanted to cook and clean. And, um, and of course the other thing that really made it was the writing. The writing was so good. It was so smart of uh, the writing. And, you know, you take the scenes with Kate and Ellie, there was so much more to it than just the jokes that there was real story going on uh, and real things happening. Do you have any favorite like episodes that stand out in your mind? Well, um, there's one I haven't recently rewatched that I'll mention uh, in a second here, but uh, a favorite one is one where um, Ellie is basically obligated to help out with a dinner that Kate is planning and it ends up being for uh, Allie's ex-husband. And so uh, Allie cooks all this food and Kate's going to take it to uh, the, the house for uh, her ex Kate or Allie's ex-husband. And they're making a little bit of money because they're, they're uh, they've, they've both recently lost their jobs and uh, they're, they're having to pay the bills. But uh, you know, um, through the the calamity of events that happens there, uh, Allie ends up at her ex husband's house with his new wife, having to serve them because the person who was supposed to do the serving for the party called in sick. So now Allie is going around her ex husband's house wearing a giant pair of sunglasses like some celebrity trying to avoid the paparazzi and i think she's even wearing a trench coat and yeah. she's she's even serving her old friends and enemies trying to you know go under the radar no i no i, I don't know who that is but yeah. the best part of it is of course as i was talking to toppy behind the curtain before the show is that uh the um the the other woman, Allie's uh, replacement, if you will, uh, her ex husband's new wife is played by Wendy Malick, the character of Claire, and uh, Wendy Malick, of course, was in um, Just Shoot Me, and then in more recent years on TV Lands, Hot in Cleveland with Betty White. Um, but you know, in terms of uh, groundbreaking issues, there was an episode that got quite a bit of discussion in season two. It's called landlady. And um, the, the synopsis says Kate and Allie face a rent increase when their landlady realizes they are two families occupying a one family dwelling. Now the, the crux of that is uh, through the course of the episode, you learn that it's assumed that they are two lesbians. So 
the because uh, it turns out the landlord is a lesbian and, exactly. and she's she's got a partner um and so they just seem to assume that <laughs> i was just gonna call them cagney and lacy they, they're not cagney and lacy they're kate and Allie. <laughs> uh they just sort of assume that kate and Allie are uh lesbians and um, I haven't seen that episode, but it certainly seems to be a favorite of Jane Curtin's. Mm-hmm, um, I, go ahead. You know, as I say, uh, you know, uh, what the clip that I saw of it basically was they turned it on, you know, on end on their on its ear, the conversation on its ear, saying, you know, that they were being accused of being lovers when it was the landlady who, in fact, was uh, a lesbian. Well. <clears throat> That show may have been a response to, I don't know. I mean, this was all before the internet, but somehow mm. there were rumors or people seemed to think, or there was talk or whatever, that people seemed to think the characters of Kate and Allie were gay and that they were lovers, even though like, hello, are you watching the damn show? Uh, and 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 so CBS got a little uptight, and and their uh, sphincters like uh, just just totally tightened up about this. They said, "Oh my God, we got to do something." And apparently, they had to end each episode with each of them going into their own separate bedrooms. Yeah. The thing is, I've seen the ending of quite a few episodes and i've never seen that so they must have gotten over it yeah it might have been you know for the the next few episodes that season that they had to do that because that that certainly wasn't a thing towards the end of the run uh yeah yeah so oh i just want to say hi to crone and apparently uh she's retiring and and today was her last day at work well congratulations crone i i hope that you're prepared for all the time that you'll have to yourself and you have well, got something to look forward to yeah yeah as far as i'm <laughs> never a better time to retire anyways i hope you're looking forward to it crone and uh i'm sure you are so um, yeah, go ahead. Before we before we continue, Toppy, I mentioned a couple of my favorites. Did you have one or two that that seemed to be, you know, the the ones that pleased you that you watched? Well, yeah, I could tell you the what the one that that I just thought was oh so spot on and the writing was so good was season two, the last episode of the season, episode twenty two, and uh, Allie's ex-husband was getting married and the show starts with Allie getting the kids ready to go because they're going to attend kate and Allie are not attending the wedding but the kids are so they send the kids off and then kate and Allie are like oh we're alone and you know and they're they're kind of like reflecting on their divorced lives and feeling really depressed like we're never going to meet anybody. It's a, oh, life. And then they try to cheer each other up and they say, oh, let's do something special. They decide, all right, let's let's go have a terrific dinner. So they go out and they come back with live lobsters, two of them. <laughs> and uh, there's a little bit of comedy there. 
um, because they both decide they, they don't want, they just can't bring themselves to kill the lobsters, you know, put them in the boiling water. They just can't do it. So the dinner ends up being champagne and chocolate cake. Um, and while this is all happening, they're having this really funny but poignant conversation about life and where things go and how complicated it can be. And it's so well written. And again, I, I found out, yeah, this, this is one of the shows written by the series creator, um, Sherry Coburn. Hmm. Um, and it was so good. So that's the one that stands out to me. It was the episode 22 of the second season. You know, one just peels back the other and we could keep going and going. I'll just say one real quick one. There is an episode where they come into some money because they find a wallet and they're given a reward by the owner. And they spend the rest of the episode trying to figure out how each of them is going to spend their half. Now, um, Kate takes herself to a spa. She has her hair done and her nails. Now, Allie, she spends the rest of the day debating uh, if she's going to get herself a nice dress, take herself out to dinner. In the end, she ends up buying last year. This is so my husband. Last year's model sewing machine that's been retired, but it's on clearance. And the best part about it is she found it at the dress shop that she was going back to because for the millionth time that day she couldn't decide if she wanted the dress and the sales lady was ready to gouge her eyes out <laughs> <laughs> that's funny <sighs> um yeah the I, I think the thing that shined on that show was the the interplay and, and the writing for Susan St. James and Jane Curtin and how they're, you know, they were two distinct characters and not at all alike, but in between their conflicts, you know, they, they'd work it out. They'd figure it out. They'd, they'd be okay. Um, we're kind of reaching uh, about the hour mark. DJ, I wonder what you came up with for another snack tray uh, accompaniment to Kate and Allie. Another show that people, if they like Kate and Allie, they might like something else. Could you have a suggestion? Okay, so we've made our way out to the lobby here as we're getting towards the end of the hour. And as Toppy said, we're going to talk about something you might like if you like Kate and Allie. So um, this is a show that you might not be familiar as familiar with, or you might not have seen it all because it. I, I, I I'm a nod duck. Okay, I like things people haven't heard of. So this is a British sitcom that in more recent years people have found through the power of streaming media. Uh, <laughs> it debuted about a decade later in 92, and it's been brought back a couple of times. It's called Absolutely Fabulous. It's another buddy show. You've got two women, and uh, Adina is a semi-successful urban professional and an absent, mo- absent, reluctant mother. 
Patsy is a middle-aged, obligation-free thrill-seeker, so she's single. Together, the two are friends trying to navigate life, living vicariously through Eddie's opportunities as the manager of a public relations firm. So absolutely fabulous stars, two uh, pillars of British comedy. We've got Jennifer Saunders, who's done voices in many things, including some of the Shrek films. And then um, a notable uh, actress, Joanna Lumley, who um, had a career even prior to the 70s. In the 70s, she was on a wonderful sci-fi series called Sapphire and Steel. Uh-huh. So, I would recommend that if you like Kate Nally, you might want to check out the many episodes and seasons of Absolutely Fabulous, which you could probably catch on something like Prime Video and Amazon. Mm-hmm. I certainly remember all the talk about that show way back in the day. Uh, a lot of people just simply call it Ab Fab. Mm-hmm. Um, so my suggestion is from someone who was far too busy watching one hour dramatic shows. Uh, I had a hard time finding something else, but there was a, another sitcom that was running concurrently with Kate Nally, and it was cool. Who's the boss? And it was about another blended family. In this case, a retired baseball player who becomes a housekeeper at the home of Angela Bauer. and She's an advertising exec in New York, and they each have one child of their own, uh, Samantha and Jonathan. <clears throat> but together, they raise them both in this kind of blended household scenario. So I thought if you... I think I've seen as many episodes as of Who's the Boss as I have of Kate Nally, which is like maybe five. Uh, but anyways, <clears throat> uh, check that out because it's another blended family. And by the way, I don't know what you have to say about women's fashions and hairdos and men's <laughs> hair in the 80s. But nothing makes me cringe more. I don't I don't know. I mean, oh, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. I mean, most of the outfits that Jane Curtin wore in the early seasons of uh, Kate and Allie looked like something that would have been like a, a, a uniform at a Wendy's. Yeah. That, that big that's ball. True. That's true. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good call right there. All right. DJ, so, it's time to get out the uh, the coins. Okay. We got to put them in that there magic gumball machine. All right. We had lots of different acts here in the past, including a magician who left his bag of coins. And we're going to see what's coming up next. Drop that coin. A capsule. Uh, read what's in that capsule, TJ. All right. Okay, next time on Matinee Minutia, and that's going to be on Friday, February 18th, the third Friday of the month. An early 80s comedy, sci-fi, starring the voices of Saturday Night Live and Taxis, Andy Kaufman, and the toast of New York theater and future star of Annie, Bernadette Peters. 
two household robots run away and try to start a family in heartbeats next time on Matinee Minutia. Good Lord. Holy. <laughs> holy 1980s all over again. Uh, <laughs> and there's right. a voice. Uh, Randy Quaid does a voice in it, even. <laughs> oh, dull. Uh, well, listen, folks, there's time just enough to say hi again to the chat room. Uh, Billy Starsage, the ever mysterious Crone Haven. Lamont Cranston, thanks for joining us for the first time. Our uh, old pal, Myron Gertz, Artie Cruiser, Tommy Hashbrown's all coming back. Uh, thanks all for joining us. And uh, folks, uh, you guys listening to the podcast version, well, we do this live every first and third Friday at 9 p.m. Come and join us and uh, be part of the fun. All right, sir. So I'm going to play us out here the way I've always pictured being on TV in the 80s, the themed Kate and Allie. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our show streams live on the first and third Friday of the month. Go to univospods.net. Click the tower for streaming audio. Enter Discord for our chat room. You can find our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Find us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Join our Facebook group or visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Have an idea for a show? Or why not let us know how we're doing? Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com. This has been an Alibug production. Joe's gone wild with Matt and Tom. Speak up. The Smellcast by Tommy Smelly. Be heard. Tastes like burning with Tim and James. Unique voices in podcasting. The Shy Life Podcast. With me, Paul the Shy Yeti. Univazpods.net.